Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And today we have a very special guest. We have author Joss Wood with us all the way from South Africa. Joss, how are you today? Marvelous. How are you guys? I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, we're, we're great. And yes, it's so good to have you on. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? <laughs> I had to ask my kids this because it was quite a hard question. My, says, my daughter said, do not approach without coffee and i think it should be do not approach without coffee or wine one of the two (laughs) it just depends on the time of day is it yeah just depends on the time of day (laughs) what was the first job that you had oh um like 50 million years ago i worked in a building supplies um company as a intern while i was studying so you share on your website that you love traveling what is one of the most memorable travel destinations you've been to you know what i have been so incredibly privileged to to be able to have traveled quite a bit so i've done europe i've been to the states a couple of times and but africa is just um holds my heart i mean my husband and I have done some epic African trips, which include crisscrossing Southern Africa and camping in places where elephants and lions walk through past our tents and Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana. They all have the wild places in Africa just have a very special place in my heart. So before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about where you live. And one thing that mm-hmm. we always find fascinating is like how, like what Mills and Boone lines do readers you know, what, what's popular where you are and how do readers access the titles over there? Because we know it's a little bit different everywhere you go. I feel like here we're very blessed. We have such easy access to books, but what does it look like where you are? You know, I think it's really, really sad because I think that South Africa generally is not a book reading country and which I find so heartbreaking. Um, we can, you know, I can get my, our books here. Um, you know, we've, we've got them in certain stores. Funny enough, we've got 11 different languages in South Africa, 11 official languages, and one of them is Afrikaans. And a lot of our um, Harlequin books are translated into Afrikaans, and they sell incredibly well. Um, but, you know, it's it's books in general are not are not a huge seller in our country. And I find that really sad. And I think that especially a lot of rural kids, a lot of books are not being um, written that suit their, their lives. And they, you know, so kids don't get into it. They can't relate to it. So they don't grow up to be readers. I find that sad. I hope that's changing. Lucky for us as readers, you have released quite a few titles recently. <laughs> I mean, I would, you. Love you to expl- I would love for you to explain <laughs> to us how you did this. But okay, just going through the rundown. So back in August, you released Homecoming Heartbreaker. You have How to Tempt the Off-Limits Billionaire in October. How to Handle a Heartbreaker in December. <laughs> the Rules of Their Red Hot Reunion in January. Secrets of a Bad Reputation in March. Wrong Brother, Right Kiss in April. And then we're getting Lost and Found Air in May. And your first title released back in 2013. So according to what we could see online, we would just love to hear what you still enjoy about writing romance because you're so prolific. So can you talk about that a little bit? Um, When you say that, it makes me feel absolutely exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) I was a little exhausted for you when we were going through the list yesterday. Like, I mean, that was we started with August. You had a book, I think, in May, May or June prior to that. And I was just like, we could go on forever with Joss with this. I've I've actually got a book releasing every month until June and then another in September. And so, you know, I'm incredibly blessed. I did pick up another contract with Harlequin present so having the two together so the editor schedule um how my releases go so that 
I don't generally have a desire and a harlequin in the same month. You know what? Love is love is a universal experience. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we want to hear? What we want to be? Where we want to? You know, love is love is something that we all aspire to. So I couldn't think of anything I'd more want to write about. I'd want to write yeah. about more. Sorry, my grammar. Um, yeah, and if I can give people a couple of hours of pleasure doing something that I am incredibly privileged to do because I just love it so much, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm lucky I'm fast. It's the way I'm wired. I write fast. But it's just, it's just the pleasure of my life. I just love it, love it, love it, love it. Well, we're getting the books. Obviously, they've been written. They, they're getting released. How are you writing? Are you writing these books around the same time or at the same time? No, I generally, I can't write, you know, I generally write one book at a time. I'm not smart enough okay. to um, write a couple of books. Funny enough, though, having said that, the last two weeks I have been doing that because I've been trying to juggle two projects. But generally, I don't. Generally, I stick to one book at a time. And I think it's just happened to um, work this way because with Seek um, DNA, the Dynasty's DNA Dilemma, it's a book a month. So they each, they threads go through the books and then they come out one a, one a month for the next four months. So it's kind of down to scheduling and kind of also down to the fact that I'm fast. But yeah. Have you always been fast or did that come with time? No, no, no. I've always been fast I've had just I am just generally just lucky to I think it's I'm just genuinely lucky to to know how stories work I think we all need to learn our craft and if there's any writer out there who says oh I'm just they're just natural writers to a point there are natural writers to a point to get stories um but there is a craft to it and and I mean I think I've written more than 55 books now and I'm still learning and if you stop learning then you're cheating the readers um because you have to I mean else you just get stagnant and boring and all those awful things. So you can yeah. learn the craft to a certain extent, but there is an element of natural storytelling, which I'm, I think luckily I have. I just have a feel for stories, I think. So what comes to you first? Is it is it a plot, um, something about the plot element, or is it the characters? Is it a mix of both? I'm, I'm very, very character-driven. So I will generally sit down and work out what, what is problematic about my characters, why they feel that this person is both the best and the worst thing to come into their lives. So I work out work out the heroine and the hero and see what you know what their issues are and I normally try and torture them quite a bit and then basically I put my bum in the chair and I put my fingers on the keyboard and I write and I write from upper seven to four and I do a first draft um which is very dirty I mean it is a dumpster fire of disgustingness (laughs) and then (laughs) then I edit it and then I edit it again, and then I send it off to my editor, and I bite my nails, and then I edit it again, and then we read it 400 times, and then a reader will still find a spelling mistake. <laughs> but I figured it's earned the right to be there at that point. <laughs> I tell myself the story first, and and I just let mm-hmm. myself go. And that's how that's how it works. So for wow. me, it works differently for everybody else. Um, yeah. You know, it's as individual as your fingerprints, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take us back to 2013. What did the world of romance publishing look like when you were entering it? And can you talk about your original journey into becoming published? Um, what did the world look like? It looked pretty closed up and something that I'd never break into, to be honest. I hit my 40s. And well, if I was going to get serious about my writing, I had to seriously get serious about my writing and then um I decided that I needed to publish and if I wasn't going to publish it was 
because I've always written. I've been writing since I was a little, little girl. And I got an agent um, in South Africa. She immigrated and she stopped agenting. And I gave up. I went, eh, this is just really, it's just too hard. It was just horrible. And <laughs> as a last ditch thing, I entered a competition. A local magazine was writing a competition that was sponsored by Mills and Boone. I found out about it in the morning. I wrote it a thousand words, I think in about an hour and a half, banged it off and absolutely forgot about it. And I know that people say, no, you didn't really. I promise you I did. I was in our local supermarket. Lady I know came up to me and said, you're in the, you're in the magazine. I'm going, what? What are you talking about? So there I was standing there looking at the magazine and I, I had, I don't know, I can't remember. I think I came second or something. But then the editors, one of the, Flo Nickel, who I absolutely adore from Presents, she's a senior editor now of Presents, um, sent me an email and said, please, won't you develop this into a story? And that's how it came about. So it was just absolutely amazing. And um, But the world, it's just so difficult, I think, for anybody trying to write nowadays. I often say that I'd like to be a writer in the 1980s because all you did was, I think, and they'll probably, you know, you just tapped your manuscript and it went off and you sold dozens and hundreds of thousands and life was marvelous. It's just so difficult, you know, trying to find the readers and getting the readers to find you because there are so many books, you know. So it is, that is a totally different different world even from 10 years ago that was the one thing that I, I find it harder and harder to be honest that whole getting discovered and getting new readers thing I think the sad thing is is that um Harlequin and Category have got some of the best authors I know I mean we've got tough editors we write generally good books so and they're good books I mean they're fun books yeah. they're well written you know so that's that's how I think our world has changed my world I do have another story about um why I think I'm supposed to write if you're interested in hearing it's quite interesting yeah so I, I worked for about three years. Um, I carried on with my job after I got the call. So I'd had about 15 books published. And I said to um, Flo at the time, or I, I think it was Flo, I can't remember. I've had a couple of editors. I said, I can't actually keep working full time um, and, and writing at the level I am. So we need to talk about whether I reduce my amount of books to you because I was totally burned out. And um, and I was offered a four book contract. I was offered, you know, re and so I decided to give up work. My job was quite specialized at the time. So it took a while to find the right person. And the very day after the new person took over and signed her contract, KISS, um, the line KISS came to an end. So I had no contract. I actually hadn't been formally given a contract. I had no contract. Oh, no. So I was out of work and had no contracts. And I said to myself, okay. I'll give myself six months. In six months' time, I'll have to go and find another job if I haven't got anywhere else. And six months to the day, I picked up two contracts. Um, and I got picked up an agent um, during that time. But so that I just, and this friend of mine says, trust the process, trust the process you were supposed to write. So kind of what I do. I try and trust the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you shared with us that you've been writing since you were a little girl, but we always mm -hmm. love to hear just romance origin stories in general. So how did you become a reader of romance? Um, you know, I was thinking about this and I genuinely can't pinpoint the book. Um, I can't, I just know that I've always read. I, my father told me stories. He used to read to me. I've always read. Um, I do remember reading The Blue Castle by Lucy Maud Montgomery when I, um, when I was very little. I mean, nine, ten, somewhere around there. So, um, and I remember being drawn to relationships in books. Um, so a book 
one book can't tell you um i'd be lying um Mm -hmm. but books in general were just my escape and my solace and my joy and my passion ever since i can um i mean i have to read before i go to bed even if i read a medicine bottle i have to read (laughs) (laughs) i mean because isn't that what we are we are readers first yeah um writers are readers first well your upcoming harlequin desire release is lost and found air and it's the third book in the dynasty's dna dilemma series will you share with our listeners what the series is about oh wow oh i love the series it was so close to my heart um so this it, it was sparked by an, a, a story that I'd heard about somebody finding a half-brother through a DNA test. And so I thought, ah, let's bomb a DNA test into a into family and see what happens. So Callum Rider-White is the sky on this very blue, but what he thinks is a very blue-blooded um, family. And he is obsessed with lineage and his bloodline and all those bad things. And he gives his son and his two granddaughters a DNA test for Christmas. And this DNA test just blows open a whole bunch of seats. So there are four books and um, it's it's quite different because it's not only in the hero and the heroine's point of view, there are subplots going through the four books. So I've got Lost and Found Air and then we've got The Secret Air Returns after that. And, um, I mean, but like, look at this cover. I mean, I love that cover. cover. I love the cover. And can I just say, you have some of the best titles. I love your titles. I know. I I have nothing to do with him. Stacey, my editor, I think has everything to do with him. She's absolutely brilliant. And um, And I'm just happy to know we get get one more book in that series too. Yeah, so it's a four book series. And um, Lost and Found Air, which has been released through Harlequin now. And Wrong Brother is released everywhere now um, on books two and three of the series. So it's got lots of secrets. It's got lots of little things that are going on and you know is he really who he says he is and how does this work and you know it was so much fun to write it was just like awesome love this <laughs> With so, Lost can, and Found Air, so you you told us that like you kind of, you really get to know the characters first. But can we talk about? I mean, like the first three chapters are just so intense, and I'm like, especially like that first scene. It's so gorgeous. They're at this party. You describe like the color of the roses. Like, did you come up with that very quickly after you got to know the characters? You know what. <laughs> that's such an interesting thing because for me it's like a movie that plays in my head so literally I am the spectator and I don't know what this says about my mental health I'm a bit concerned but um literally I am there and I can see everything that's happening and um and I loved being able to use all three um the ball scene so three of three of the books have got the ball scene actually four of the books all four books have got the that ball scene because it's such an integral part um and these two i just loved i mean they just i loved them all they were just so there's there haven't been a set of books that i've been so close to my heart for a while i have to say um it's just been such a pleasure writing about their stories and i love how in this one i i I was so excited aaron finished it before me and he's like i finished it in one sitting brie you have to just just (laughs) just read it just sit down and read it and i'm like okay i'm sitting down and reading it the dna is used in a way where is his name james 
he yep. he wants to he wants to break free and that's what he's wanting to use the dna and i was like you wouldn't normally see this in the book like usually the dna the results of the dna blows up and it turn you know it's all this turmoil and like he's using it like i really just want to live a life of my own and i'm hoping this works so <laughs> can you talk about that like where did that come from i think that you know, so often, and I don't, you know, whether you're, uh, you've got billions and billions, or whether you are have a have a family that's that's controlling, or a father that's controlling, or a situation that's controlling, we want to actually be the masters of our own destiny, and it, it's very easy not to be. It's very easy to to slide along with with life and just you know take the in James's case take the money and just let everything but I think that he actually had quite a big growth in over the stories and I love that it was it was him coming into his own and isn't that the point that you can come into your own at any time of your life you know we don't have to only you know you don't have to be wise when you're 80 or you know stupid when you're 20 or you know you can you can grow and change and at any time and and I think self-determination and you know wanting to live your own life and make your own decisions is is something that I was just really wanted to explore and it didn't quite suit my heroes and my heroines but it did absolutely suit him and yeah. I love that and I love the fact that um, if you read the books, Penelope and James have got this weird dynamic between them as a marriage. Um, and and I also wanted to say that, you know, sometimes marriages work for different reasons and they get better, I have to tell you. <laughs> but <laughs> marriages sometimes work for different reasons. And there are, there are loyalties that come to the fore that we don't always expect. And what is family? That's really what I want to do, explore throughout the whole four series what actually is family what does that mean what how how don't tell me that genes and blood just make a family um and that's really something that i i, I wanted to explore and i think i i did it in 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 them and certainly the secret hair era as well it builds on that a lot families complicated so was it uh did it come pretty natural to to have sort of that parallel element in this whole series of uh they all had a moment at this ball or did that come as you know an idea when you're writing the second book <laughs> um i'd be like i can i tell you that it actually i've got i'm trying to remember now because it's been a while i mean it's been about mm -hmm. a year since i wrote these books um i think it just really came naturally so i carried through certain plot points and and it just seems that a whole bunch actually happens at this ball um you know cody and in wrong brother i'd kiss cody and tinsley she tells him about her, her pregnancy at the ball and um garrett meets oh, i can't remember jules at the ball and so so it's just it was just a great way of getting a whole bunch of things happening in this whirlwind kind of situation in this fantastic situation that things like this shouldn't happen it should be pretty and flow gently and these all these like swirly things going on underneath and i kind of like that and i don't I know love, i can't I tell it. you if it was if i thought about it or if it was deliberate it was far too long ago i mean well with jewels i i found this fascinating because i i tend to have a thing sometimes i i'm i'm coming to appreciate it the more category i read but i think prior to category i used to roll my eyes a little bit but like with the virgin heroine she's one of the first heroines that i'm like okay i totally understand and believe how you are 28 and this is 
has never happened for you. And I just love her. Her backstory is really hard to read, but it's so realistic. And it's like, this is believable. And she has that conversation with her friend that's like, your body, your rules, never an exception. Because she started, the wheels are starting to turn. And she's like, I, I want to go ahead and just get this out of the way. And I'm thinking this is the person I need to do it with. So, you know, when you first in your head met Jules, did that already come to you? Or did those little bits and pieces come the more you, you wrote? You know, I think that um, I, I was quite quite worried about writing a virgin heroine purely because it is as you said very very difficult to pull off and it has to be authentic um for me it has to be real and it has to be authentic and I knew that if I was going to do this it had to be it, I had to be able to sell it for once for a better word it, and I'm so glad to hear that because that really was something that worried me just in, so I, I needed to have a very decent reason for her. So what is that reason which we go into in the book? And then and then added to that, it just having her backstory kind of ties into that. So um the other thing is that my body, my rules, it's just I have a I have a 19-year-old daughter, you know, and I've those things that I'm trying to teach her kind of slide in occasionally, you yeah. know, because absolutely there is just no nobody gets to tell you what to do, you know, or what's right for you, when it's right for you, how it's right for you. You know, I want to I wanted to get that across and it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it's the only person who's got to worry about it is you and if the guy's worried about it then he's got a problem and so um mm-hmm. yeah I, I it was it was tough for me to write I she I she took a lot of thought a lot of thought all right so we love now that harlequin mills and boone we get titles from you in both desire and the presents line can you talk about your experience writing for both of these iconic lines oh you know um i am i allowed to say that i thought that it would be easy and i was a bit like oh you know i've written like by that time i've written 45 (laughs) books and i can write presents I couldn't write presents. Um, it took a while. <laughs> um, they are different, believe it or not. And people think, oh, no, a category is a category. They're not. Um, presents is more angsty. I love that I get to um, situate, you know, they're based in South Africa um, or Africa. Um, and they've because they have got bigger heroes, um, they they bolder. The hero is bolder. The world is bolder. The conflicts, I think, have got to be a little bit tougher, a little bit harder, a little bit all those things. Um, uh, desire lets me play a bit more. Desire, I'm not comfortable with, but I'm. I can feel I'm allowed to play in the stories, and and I love that. So, do I have a favorite? No. Um, you know, they just they both. They both just give me different things. And I hope they give the reader different things. And what that's why they are marketed differently. Um, you know, I love I, I love writing for presents. It's been it's been great. And it's actually stretched me as a writer, which is always awesome. So you have such a talent for analogy that paints a picture for the reader and all the feelings your characters are experienced. What can you share with us about how you honed this particular skill? Um as I said I think I'm perceptive and I'm also emotional so I will cry at anything um it's just dreadful I literally cried adverts my kids roll my their eyes at me um but I can put myself in those situations I mean genuinely I have sat through here sobbing in scenes like tears running down my face yeah you are so ridiculous what I mean really 
<laughs> Honestly, I think I should stop this because you're going to think that I'm an absolute basket case. Being emotional and being the world. I mean, I love people. I love, I'm an introvert, but I love knowing what makes people tick. So those those emotional things, those painting, those pictures, um, I, I, I think I've managed to I just imagine what it would feel like, basically, and then just put my heart mm-hmm. out there and let everybody stomp on it. Yeah. <laughs> simple well we're reading it and you're just like ripping our hearts out so i think yeah. your intentions have paid off Yay! <laughs> well even even in the moments of of deep connection too because when i was reading homecoming heartbreaker and there's you know an, an intimate moment between mac and molly and the way you're describing the way they're feeling for each other or, or you know what what's going you know through through their head when you know they're they're touching one another i'm i had to put the book down and just be like wow you're such a swooner Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no but what was the mean girl the mean girl was in that book right even the scenes with her i was like oh i am physically angry right now jocelyn <laughs> I did. I wanted to slap her. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, there were. I loved writing Homecoming Heartbreak. That was really that was quite interesting. Again, exploring families and our roles about responsibilities to our families. Where does that end? And you know, who's responsible for what and how much and um, how people can generally suck sometimes. You know, yes. And how do you deal with sucky people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in Red Hot Reunion, Pasco is so unlikable when we first meet him. And then he also has some moments throughout the story. But in the end, you had me rooting for him so hard. So what's what's your secret or what's the the key to redeeming an unlikable character? I think if you're going to make him my poor Pasco, I feel sorry for him now. I didn't know that he was that unlikable. <laughs> I think <laughs> Poor Pasco. Oh, poor guy. He's a multi-billionaire talented chef. I feel yeah, so yeah, sorry yeah. for him. He's now getting really excellent sex, I have to just tell you. It's just awful. Um, I think when when a when a somebody's being difficult, whatever character it is, I think you have to really explain their pain very clearly. You have to make it really believable so they can say, I can see we, I don't really like him right now, but I can see why he's acting like us. And maybe if I was in this situation, I it wouldn't I'd also maybe be a bit of a joke. Um, you've got to especially in romance, because if you know, part of the deal is your readers falling in love with your um characters. And and if I'm not falling in love with them, then, and I do, I mean, I have, I fall in love every month or so, or six weeks or two months. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been married for like 50 million years, but I get to have these love affairs um, with my husband's permission or <laughs> I actually really haven't asked him. Maybe I should ask him. Um, anyway, he doesn't care. Um, but they're fictional. Know, they're fictional. He they're knows. Fictional, yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got to, you've got to explain the pain the pain people and if you don't then you're not then you will lose your reader um i really didn't think you were that bad <laughs> there were just some things he said in in the oh, initial no, confrontation <laughs> you know and and the dynamic between the two in that one was um i noticed not not 
typical of a, of a presents. So there wasn't, um, Asia wasn't in a position where, you know, Pasco could just solve all of her problems. And, you know, if, and, and the power dynamic wasn't so, wasn't so extreme. She, she would be absolutely fine financially and everything if they didn't end up together. Uh, so it was that, um, yeah, so I found I that very I, interesting. Yeah. I think for me, just generally with presents, there is always the power din- dynamic um, in terms of wealth, in terms of all of that. And that's kind of for me, like icing on the cake. My, my job, I think, is to make the emotional power din- dynamic um, you know, to e- settle that out, to even that out. Um, and that is really important to me. Um, and and I write I write strong woman characters. I mean, I do. Um, do not ask me to write the, oh, save me, darling. I'm never going to, I don't think I have, I never don't think I will, because I don't think, um, I don't want my daughter to be like that. I don't, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'm not like that. And I don't think the world wants that anymore. Um, I don't think the readers want it. I, want, I think that they want to see, you know, heroines kicking some emotional ass now and again i mean you know presents heroine is never going to match up she's never going to be as rich but she'll she'll manage she'll be okay jack you know you can take your drama llama somewhere else you know Um, is there a difference in writing because we we we've actually been in conversation about having an episode kind of talking about presents and desire and maybe even romance but when it comes to the hero the heroine i think it's I think in a lot of ways, the presents versus desire hero is pretty obvious in some ways, but the heroines as a writer, is there any difference or similarities that are obvious to you in writing a presents heroine versus a desire heroine? So just, yeah, I think with the the heroes, I think the desire heroes are just that slightly more down to earth than the presents hero, heroes, just that's just is one point. That's a really difficult question, Brie, and I actually don't actually know, to be honest. Um, see, I, I try, I, I don't look at it like that. I just look at the story and kind of like send in a proposal and then go off piste and, you know, do my own thing and then get ran back in. And so I really actually haven't thought about it just in terms of angst, I think. I think the hero in Presents is generally a lot more angsty and um, and it's about more of an emotional power dynamic for me in presents and maybe it isn't desire but mm-hmm. I, I don't I know I didn't answer that question and that would be a really really interesting topic because I'd love to be involved in that because I don't actually know because I always think of it like if a presents hero and, and in my we all I think think in terms of movies here if a presents hero walked out of his book into a desire it may be a little bit of a culture shock <laughs> but I'm like if a desire heroine walked into a presents novel would it be a big culture shock for her no, I um I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to answer that. I, I actually really need to think about that. And I will think about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier the kiss line, which yes. is a line we are very, very interested in and we want more people to know about. So oh. having written for that line, how would you describe it to anybody who has yet to read it? Oh, kiss was just fun and it was flirty and it was incredibly contemporary and so we didn't really have the the rich hero heroes and so much they were really more ordinary um people and they were just sparkly and dynamic and oh they were just like amazing authors there was amy andrews and nicola marsh and kelly hudson and heidi rice and i know that i'm missing out a whole bunch but oh they really really were sparkly books 
I don't I don't know if they got if they got the the chance that they could have been you know I really really miss them a lot and you know people who read them love them you know um well we always talk about like would Kiss thrive today? Do you think Kiss would be a line that readers would enjoy now? I think that it would absolutely be a line that um, younger readers would love. Absolutely. Um, when I talk to younger readers, I'm talking 25 to 35, you know, 45, round about there. They would absolutely adore it. And yeah, I think, but you know, I also just really, really believe as, as much as I say that's difficult for readers to find books and I mean readers yeah to find books and books you know authors to find readers I do think that good writing floats to the top you know and um hopefully I mean I'd love to see it come back or or in some form because I think I think that it could could be good I mean I love them are you ready for some round out questions uh I am What is one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? Oh, for just for a sheer character who who gripped me and I wish they'd make a movie about um, The Grand Sophie by Georgette Heyer. I know there are some things that people don't don't like about that book and I get that, but for a character that just absolutely sparkles on the page, The Grand Sophie just is just I, I read it all the time just for A as a reference and B as just a character that jumps off the page. She's amazing. And please make a movie about her. I mean, everybody loves the Bridgertons. Awesome. <laughs> if Shonda Rhimes is listening, besides reading or writing, what was one of your teenage girl obsessions? Um, I know it doesn't look like it, but I was super, super fit and I played every single sport I possibly could and I exercised myself into a coma. That and my boyfriend at the time, who I had for two years it broke my heart um absolutely were <laughs> yeah that was it yeah reading writing exercise boyfriend and sport yeah i hope my daughter's not listening what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on oh um you know what i really believe coming back to what we were talking about earlier about body autonomy um, I whether it's abortion or chemotherapy or anti-vaccination, I, I have my own thoughts on all of these things, but I absolutely will die to the death, die to the death, um, fight to the death for your right to do what you want to do with your own body. Um, you know, nobody's got a right to tell you who to, what to do with it, how to do with it, however that works for you. Um, that is, I will fight to the death for your right, my rights, my daughter's rights, her friend's rights to have full full control over her body, whether it's vaccinations or abortions or, you know, your choices, your consequences. Um, I don't have a right or nobody has the right to decide what is right for you at any given time. Absolutely. Uh What is the, (laughs) what is one of the toughest pieces of advice you were ever given? Um, Toughest pieces of advice. You know what? I was in a, I was in a really bad relationship just after I finished school and it wasn't so much a piece of tough advice, but it was a piece of advice that sticked with me. And, oh, this, I was looking for love in a really horrible man in a horrible place. And um, my father said to me that love is supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to make you joyous. It's not supposed to be, you're not supposed to feel lost. You're not supposed to feel disappointed. And yeah, I mean, I didn't get it at the time because I was young and dumb and, you know, all those things things but that is something that I now tell my daughter and tell her friends um you know love is supposed to make you happy it's not supposed to make you miserable and sad and you know um I I was lucky I got out of it when a 
fist flew past my face into a fridge behind me. I went, whoa, you know, um, and I got out of it. And I, but love is not that, love is happiness. It's not, it's not angst or being miserable or hurting people, you know, and you deserve it. Everybody yeah. deserves it. Yeah, oh, and absolutely. that coming from your dad, that has got to my be dad. just, yeah. Wow. I love that. Well, knowing what you know now, what is one piece of advice author Joss Wood would go back and tell herself at the beginning of your writing career? I would tell her that you're going to need an extraordinary amount of resilience, that this is an up and down game, that you can only ever do your very best. Control what you what what is in your control. Do the very best you can. To you can't control reviews. You can't control sales. You can't control changes in companies. Um, you can only control what you do, which is to write and just putting your best foot forward all the time. And also not to compare yourself with anybody else. And you know, um, it is the worst thing you can possibly do as a writer. And you look. <gasps> You know, she she got published after me, and she's now as a USA Today bestselling list, or she's on, and you go, oh, you know, I'm just dreadful. I'm not. You can't. This is your journey. My journey is my journey. Somebody else's. You know, I I've no control over that. So, but resilience. It's a tough industry. Well, share with us what is next for Joss Wood. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe more writing. <laughs> I believe wholeheartedly. Yes. We believe that there is more writing for Joss Wood. Uh, um in terms of releases i i have well i have these four for the next couple of months and then um i have i have the first in a trilogy for presents um called the billionaires billions one night baby and it's a it's it's a three book surrounding the events of a very exclusive south african wedding and how that goes horribly wrong. So <laughs> I love these things that go horribly wrong. Let me torture you. Come here, your <laughs> characters. Let me throw you around a bit. So that, that'll be out in September. No, June. That's June. And then I've got a pregnancy book coming out in September. And did I tell you that I'm exhausted? I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, we yeah, are very happen. grateful for <laughs> all of the work that results in you being exhausted. Absolutely. We're very grateful. <laughs> Oh no, it's and not I that bad. I'm, say, I'm, I'm a bit overdramatic. Let's be honest. I mean, like, really, it's there's not that something bad. about there's something about those wedding settings that are just so fun and juicy and dramatic, and for things to just go wrong in the best way possible. So I'm so excited. <laughs> well, this one starts off with two brothers and then his their sister, and it's about their sister's wedding and how everything goes wrong with this wedding and it's actually being sabotaged. So who's sabotaging? Oh, yeah. Aaron, Why is yes. being sabotaged? <laughs> um, all those delicious things. So yeah, that was been, I'm actually just doing the edits for the third one now and I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. That's, that's really, it was fun. Um, the, I have to just tell you that the scene I just wrote start this, the third book starts off with her in a very slinky, um, very short, very revealing dressing gown an hour before her wedding, giving a press conference, explaining why <laughs> she's not getting married. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know how fun. to write a scene, Jocelyn. You know how to <laughs> write a fun. scene. <laughs> Threw him under the bus. Well, I have to ask before we get off yes. of here, do you have a favorite trope that you, like? if we were like, what is your favorite to write? Do you have one? No, I really don't. Um, I I don't. Mm. I love I love friends to benefits. I think there's a lot of depth that can go in there. Um, I love the idea of why people make decisions like 
decide to get married and then back out at the last moment. So that runaway bride can be fun. In terms of the world, you've got to be quite careful with because there are so, you've got to find different twists on them. And that's yeah. that's a difficult thing is, is finding how do I make this different? How do I, um, pregnant? I like pregnancy, but also pregnant, surprise pregnancy is quite hard these days because Isn't it? falling pregnant is not that easy if you've got Trisha together, sorry. But really it is or it shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. So um, in this one, no, Wrong Brother, Right Kiss, which is out now, came out yesterday. There is a surprise um, twist on this. So it is a pregnancy, but it but there's a twist. So it's finding those twists. How do you actually make it different? And that I find sometimes hurts my brain. It can be quite difficult. Um, but no, I don't think I have a a particular favorite trope. I like looking at tropes that I haven't used before, like the virgin one. Um, it was a challenge, um, and that keeps keeps me on my toes as well you know how can I make this difference so no I don't think I have a favorite oh no I do maybe maybe I love bodyguard I do love bodyguard I love protection bodyguard Mm -hmm. stories yeah or muscly gorgeous man you know So when you need that twist, what's the, like, are you calling a friend? Are you taking a walk? Like, and you're just, I need a twist. How do I twist this? How does it, how do you make it happen? I go, I'm on a deadline. It's got to happen. Make it work. (laughs) (laughs) It's looming. It's coming. I need this. Um, You know, I, I, I think I do, writing's a very private thing for me. So I don't often bounce things off people. I do have one or two really good author friends that I can actually say help um it doesn't happen often though normally when I just step back um if I just step back and say right stop stop trying to force it and I think that's trick because you sometimes what happens you is that you you want to fit it into this narrow tunnel and it's just not working and that's when you know that it's got to stop step back and say you know let's let's really look at this and actually quite often what I do is I I go to sleep and I go, eh, yeah, please just sort this out for me in the morning. And I promise <laughs> you it works. <laughs> but the trick is, it's actually remembering what I thought about. That is the next trick. So, I mean, I've had brilliant ideas that I've just completely forgotten. Marvelous ones. I mean, I did. I had a brilliant answer that I thought about in the shower one last night. Or the, and I thought to your like, question-y thing and I, went, and I couldn't remember it. So, you know. Yeah. Getting old. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you oh, so much for so being here. Yes, thank you. Tell everybody where they can follow you and keep up with you online. I think the easiest place is if you go into josswoodbooks.com. All my social media links are there. Um, I There's a news link to a newsletter, and I'm trying to be better at newsletters. I find it really strange that I can write 50,000 words all the time, but ask me to write a three-paragraph newsletter telling you about my life. I'm going, oh, no, don't make me. It's hard. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to be better. I'm not very good um, at newsletters. Um, Social media, yeah, um, I try and be all over social media. I put stupid things that I find are funny. I've got a very warped sense of humor. Um, But just, yeah, connect with me. I love just meeting people. I like knowing where you're from and what you do and all those wonderful things. So jostwoodbooks.com. And I love your website. I love when you go to an author's website and before you even get into it, you're like, this is a romance author's website. (laughs) Yeah, there's no getting away from it, is it? (laughs) There's no getting away. (laughs) 
And yeah, I'll well, you have plenty more books coming out, so please come back. You are always welcome. We oh, have this podcast, you. so you know, come back and talk more books with us, um, listeners. Make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to all the places where you can keep up with the author Joss Wood, as well as all the places you can find her books. We hope that she comes back, and we will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely oh, day, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Joss, for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye.